the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes towards the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. And the rivers run into the sea. Yes, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear full with hearing. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. Another subheading, the grief of wisdom. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task God has given to the son of, sons of man, by which they may be exercised. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed, all is vanity and grasping for the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be numbered. I consumed with my heart, or I communed with my heart saying, look, I have attained greatness, and I have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this is also a grasping for the wind. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. How's your heart this morning? This week has been... Um, a very trying week, I must say. Anybody had a trying week uh, here? Was me on my own? Very, very trying week. Sister D, I see God's providence that you're here this morning. God is really good. You know, 
I said to Bernice, I think midway during the weekend, I, I said to her, I just feel overwhelmed. I feel overwhelmed by life. And um, I said it out loud, um, and I internalized this throughout the entire week. Saying it out loud brought me some sort of relief. And um, I said to her, I, I feel like everything that I'm doing is a consequence of what other people need, what other people want. Um, I felt like, is there anything that I'm doing because Clint wants to do it? I started going into that mindset of um, life is not all that. I started going into the mindset of I, is it okay for me to be selfish and just do what I want to do? And I said to, to Bert, Yo, I just feel so frustrated. And immediately my wife said to me, I think you need to take leave. And I was listening to a podcast of um, Simon Sinek, who starts, who, who wrote the book Start With Why, and um, amazingly, he was he was talking about the when people are <coughs> presented with problems of life, sitting in the mud and presenting their problems to somebody else. Immediately, the people that are sitting in the mud with them come up with a solution. And sometimes we don't need a solution, we just need people to sit in the mud with us and, yeah. and listen. And listen and be there. Hold your hand through the mud because, you know, it's not for us to solve the problem. It's for God. You know, God has created us, God has created you. And in that is wisdom. I just want to encourage you today, if you're sitting in the mud with somebody, don't immediately think that you need to solve your problems. Yes. Hold your hand through the mud. Pray to God while they're talking so that your mouth is closed. They are speaking and your ears are listening in the spirit. Amen. So this morning, I also realized that the way that I was feeling is because of the word that I was meditating on in Ecclesiastes. Um, it's very difficult to not become downtrodden, feel despair and hopelessness when you're going through the book of Ecclesiastes. Yeah. But you've got to constantly question yourself. The lens and the focus that you have isn't the whole picture. So this morning, I'm going to lay a bit of a foundation for the book of Ecclesiastes. It is a series, and we're going to continue with that. Right, so the title Ecclesiastes is a transliteration of the Greek word Ecclesiastes that has K's in it. We've got the C's, and that is a translation from the Hebrew word, which means, or which states, which is, coalate. Okay? Coalate. 
Now, Coalit, spelled spell with a K or with a Q, Coalit speaks to the teacher or the preacher, as we've just read in the beginning of Ecclesiastes there. So the teacher or the preacher who is addressing the assembly. Okay? The assembly or the called out ones. The assembly are called ecclesia or ecclesia. So hence we get the word ecclesiastes. The teacher who addresses the assembly. The genre that we're looking at this morning of Ecclesiastes, it falls into the genre of wisdom yeah. literature. Okay? It is more of a philosophical literature than it is of your everyday practical wisdom. Yeah. And it's also this book of Ecclesiastes as we see is more directed to the individual than it is to the national. Alright, so Proverbs, Job's, and Ecclesiastes are all counted as wisdom literature. And as I've said, that one important aspect that differs the biblical uh, literature here, biblical material, is that this book is focused on the concerns of the individual and not so much more like the other literature which speaks to Israel and its institutions. The temple, suffering, and the law. Okay? Lots of focus on the individual. It's characterized by contrasts, which we will actually see. You get contrast, the wise and the foolish. The wicked, the righteous. It's also characterized by instruction, characterized by short sayings, poetic style of writing is this wisdom uh, literature. The, there is a sub-genre under wisdom literature which is called pessimism. Um, literature. Now, Ecclesiastes does fall under pessimism literature as well, but the difference is there is light at the end of the tunnel versus um, other Near East pessimism literature. Would you believe that one of the Babylonian pessimism literatures, one of the outcomes or suggestions of that is You've got all this hopelessness and despair that is being portrayed. And one of the outcomes or solutions of that is suicide. Okay? So we've got to be very careful. Very careful. The information that we're taking. New Eastern documents. Wisdom. The word wisdom. Okay? Has a very narrow meaning. Narrow meaning talking to skill in cult or magic traditions. Okay? That wisdom. And it is devoid of moral consideration. Unlike Hebrew wisdom. So, James 3 verses 
14 to 18, and we saw this when we went through the book of James. There's two kinds of wisdom, if you would remember. There's wisdom from above, and there's wisdom from below. Now, wisdom basically means to know or to get learning, okay? So, are you learning the wisdom from above or the wisdom from below? Okay, I've taken out some key points from the scripture there in James, which describes wisdom from above and wisdom from below. Listen to some of these key points. Wisdom from below. Bitter envy, self-seeking, boasting, lying against the truth, confusion, every evil, wisdom that is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Then there's the wisdom from above. Wisdom that is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. What was the purpose of Ecclesiastes? Now remember, every word is God-breathed. And here, we're getting to be the author of Ecclesiastes, but it is God-breathed, and even though you've got all of this going on of complaining and, and showing the bleak side of life for a whole 12 chapters, there is method to why God has put this as part of what it is that we need to know. So Eaton says, that Ecclesiastes can be looked at as an essay of apologetics. Okay, basically defending the life of faith in a mighty God versus the grim alternative of that. The grimness of the alternative. And what we see for 12 chapters is that grimness. We see that hopelessness and that despair coming out. So who is the author of the book of Ecclesiastes? So King Solomon, who wrote Proverbs and wrote Song of Solomons, is said to be, uh, according to rabbinic tradition, is said to be the author of Ecclesiastes. Now, very interesting character this. He's, he's said to have written Ecclesiastes in his latter years. So we've got Proverbs, we've got Song of Solomon, and we've got Ecclesiastes. It is said that he wrote Proverbs when he was full of wisdom, close to God, in touch with God's heart. Song of Solomon's when he starts sort of doing his own thing, and then Ecclesiastes, when he's in a latter reflection state of life, looking at life in the rearview mirror. How many of us, hey, I can tell you this, and I'm going to say this, uh, young people, in my mind I'm still very young, um, <laughs> But isn't it amazing, older people, how quickly you get to this part? 
and you think, but hey, I was that younger person not so long ago. I was that person that other people were saying, you know, be careful of this and be careful of that and uh, take heed of what I'm saying and because I said so and all of those things, now I'm that person. Now I'm the one that's looking in the mirror and thinking about how quickly I got to this point. Many of us, it's, it's a reflection of regret. Many of us, it's a, a, a reflection of, um, I wish I'd done things a little differently. I heard a mom say, I'm just waiting for all of them to get out of the house. Then I'm going to start my life. <laughs> then it's going to become all about me. Sound familiar to anybody? Hey. So, King Solomon, as we've said, the author of Ecclesiastes, as the verse starts out talking about the son of David, the king of, of Israel, validating him as the author. And as we've said now, as or after he's lived his life as he's wanted to, he's now sitting back and thinking about the validity and the value of his life. He was the third king of Israel after Saul, after David, and it is said that his name perhaps could have come from the word Shalem in Hebrew, which means to restore or to replace. Now, Solomon was the one who was the replacement for David and Bathsheba's other son who was taken away because of sin. So we need Solomon, the replacement, who's coming here with sort of a clean slate. Reminds me of another story in the beginning of the Bible with, um, with Adam and Eve that were also given a, a clean slate. Um, disobedient to God, broke the promises of God, stepped into sin and moved away from God. Same like Solomon, started out well, okay, got thwarted by the things of this world and there came a separation from God. Now Solomon was, and, and just the validity of somebody who's being the author of this book and what we can take away from it, Solomon lacked absolutely nothing yeah. in terms of earthly treasures. He would get in excess of 25 tons of gold sent to him yearly. And this was besides all the other gold that you would get from um, merchants, traders, the, the kings um, of Arabia and governors. Wherever he looked, there was just gold yeah. coming in. In fact, in the days of Solomon, silver meant absolutely nothing. Yeah. He had so much gold, he had so much silver. It, silver was worthless. 
Solomon's throne was a throne of ivory overlaid with gold. His drinking utensils were pure gold. Can you imagine a life of opulence like this? Okay. There is absolutely nothing, nothing that he was wanting for. He was also a man who had a healthy appetite for women. Now, would you believe he, this man had 700 wives. Hey, the, 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 the men that are married are short-circuiting now. 700 wives. 700 wives. 300 concubines. Hey. Solomon. I don't know, eh? I don't know about wisdom. I don't know about... Now this guy, 700... Now we've got to understand, also put this into context though. Because Solomon first married Pharaoh's daughter. Okay? Foreign god. Foreign king, foreign wife. He first married um, Pharaoh's daughter, but this was part of a treaty, ratifying of a treaty, forming alliances. So many of Solomon's marriages were exactly that. Okay? Ratifying of these treaties, forming alliances for what it is that Solomon actually needed. Can we see a distorting of the marriage covenant? What God intended. So this is just a sidebar note that I'm just sneaking in there. Think about how the enemy comes in so quickly, even with Adam and Eve, where there's a gap in the covenant, the enemy woke up. The enemy will use it to sow that seed of sin to take away God's covenant, God's promise because of your disobedience. Same thing happened with Solomon. His heart was turned away from the heart of God because of all of these women. And in Deuteronomy 17, 17, God warned of these things. God warned of these things. He said the king should not do this. They should not intermarry with women from false from, or from foreign gods. He also said they should not have lots of gold and lots of heads of cattle. Hey, Solomon was just going all out. Solomon was going all out. So here's a man that had anything and everything that any man could want on earth. But, the one thing that mattered, he was being separated from. The one thing that mattered, he was being separated from. So the curse of sin, just as a reminder, that has followed man throughout the life on earth. And Solomon also uh, referenced this. So Gen uh, Genesis 3 verses 17, this was the, the curse of sin. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it. 
all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Can you see the, the curse of sin that God spoke to, to Adam? Can you see how Solomon himself is complaining about all of these things? Yeah. The cycle continues. So that is the author of the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's very important for you and I to be able to take a page out of that. Because who here can say that we've had more? Or oh, Solomon, would, who can say that we, we in, in the life of Solomon, we, we attained what Solomon has had? So we can look at somebody as a marker and say, listen, I might not be there where Solomon is, in riches, in wisdom, and all of those things, but here is somebody who had those who got there and still was not satisfied, yeah. still was not fulfilled. For the very least, I can take this out of Solomon's book and say, listen, time is also not on my side. To get to that place, am I going to be fulfilled? So, I took just some, I, ooh, I just took some themes out of that first chapter that we read. Took some themes out of the first chapter, but what I would like you to do is an order check on yourself and ask yourself this this morning. Am I subscribing to these themes in terms of how I'm living my life right now? This is very important because I don't... Uh, Pastor Bev was talking about going into the Bible and doing a, a, a finger check, right? In terms of, I will put my finger here, take one out, put my finger there, take one out, and you might not like what you're finding. So the same thing here, if you are just going into the book of Ecclesiastes and taking a little here and a little there, you could be very disillusioned with life. You could be very disillusioned with life. So that is not where we want to be. So order check on yourself. Am I subscribing to some of these themes that we're going to talk about now in the book, in that first chapter that we've spoken about? Theme number one. Solomon talks about the futility of human effort. Okay? He is convinced that, or the trait that goes through there is convinced that there is no value. Yeah. My life as I am is a waste. Me standing here delivering this message is a waste. You sitting there receiving this message is a waste. You going to work tomorrow morning, what does it mean? Yeah. You doing anything that you do, what value does it have? Yeah. Now how can we go through life that way? Yeah. 
But I might ask the question, how can we go through life that way? How many of us are? Yeah. How many of us are getting up in the morning? Um, my, my, my sister Deirdre said, spoke about it now, feet on the floor. How much or how many of us are saying, thank you, Father. It's your breath in my lungs that is enabling me. Or are we getting out of bed and saying, I hate my life. Yeah. Why do I have to go to that place again? I hate my boss. That, that um, pessimistic um, literature that I read, they did say that it was suicide. Yeah. Maybe I should listen to that. No. We have one word of truth. We have one word of truth. The book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, that verse, vanity of vanities. Now, even if you look at vanity of vanities, already, it's man, he's trying to tell you this is the vanity of all vanities. It is the greatest, the biggest, like saying King of Kings, Lord of Lords, there is none greater. He is the King. He is the Lord. He is using it as vanity of vanities. There is no greater vanity than this. But we need to then go into context. Now, King James Version says vanity or vanities or vanities. The NIV Version says Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. And then the message says smoke. Nothing but smoke. Yeah. Now the Hebrew word for vanity, vanities, is hevel. Okay, spelled H-E-B-E-L, pronounced hevel. Now hevel basically talks to breath. When you inhale and when you exhale during respiration, breath, fleeting, quick, something that you cannot grasp, okay, in and out. And he's sort of comparing life to the fleeting breath. I just said it just now. Started life young and perky. And before you know it, you're thinking about, yo. Oh, it's 50 this year. You're What? I might or might not be telling the truth. But I am. So, in the, he says all life is Hevel. All life is Hevel. It goes so quickly, the breath. There's another uh, a portion to this, which also talks then to the, the curse that, that, um, that we read just now. So here's some of the adjectives. Emptiness, unreliability, frailty, to no effect, meaningless, absurd, incomprehensible. So, Hevel is used metaphorically throughout the book here, to refer to that that is without substance, without meaning, without values. So if we look there at Ecclesiastes 1, 
and where he states his case in terms of the futility of human effort, that's the theme, he sort of cements this through Ecclesiastes 1, number 1 in um, verse 5, where he talks about generations come, generations go. People have come, people have gone. The earth is still remaining there eternally. What's the difference? He then says, gets a little bit more specific, goes into nature and says the sun comes up, the sun goes down. He says the wind will blow to the south, the wind will blow to the north. The rivers will feed into the sea, the sea never gets full. And the generations come and the generations go. He's talking about the futility of life. What is the value of life? What value have you, Clint, brought to the earth? The sea is still not full. The sun has still gone up. The sun has still gone down. The wind has blown where it wishes. It's futile. You cannot even catch the wind. That's the first theme that is put out through the book. He's also then stamped it and said, there's nothing new on this earth. So, when, you know, when you came, and when you left, even you weren't new, there were people before you. You came and you left, there was nothing new that has happened. Absolutely. When we were coming to, to, to church this morning, we were talking on, on 702, and the lady said, ah, um, body suits has come back. And she said, ah, I wish I'd kept my bodysuits. <laughs> and I was like, yo, there you go. And another person, and the person with her said, yes, and bell bottoms is back as well. Nothing new. Nothing new. Hey, bell bottoms and bodysuits fitted and <laughs> complimentary, I guess. <clears throat> so, I want you to be thinking as I'm going through these themes in that chapter 1, though, is this what I'm subscribing to in my own life? Do you believe that life is futile? Do you believe that you're just coming and you are just going? You're adding no value. The sun is continuing, the sun is going down, the, the life is continuing and you are just a matter of existence. Danger. The second theme that I've taken out of that uh, chapter one is the earthly focus theme. So number one, check yourself. Are you or do you believe that human value, human effort is of no value? What you are doing and serving here, do you believe it's of no value? Number two, earthly focus theme in the book of Ecclesiastes. The phrase under the sun used 29 times. 29 times under the sun. Now under the sun, excuse me, is, is, is talking about life here on earth, right? Hmm. Life here under the sun, under the heavens, everything that is happening or pertaining to life on earth. 
it has a horizontal perspective and not a vertical perspective. Not taking into account the things of God. We, this, this, this type of vision, okay, when we're looking into the tunnel, the question is, do we see the light at the end of the tunnel only with an earthly perspective? Only with an earth, under the sun, if I consider my life and what I'm doing under the sun, on this earth, only in this horizontal perspective, what does that do? That type of perspective is going like, like going to a 3D movie and not purchasing the 3D glasses and only seeing the blurred vision of that movie and not knowing what else the, the author, the producer had in mind. You don't have the full vision. vision, vision. We cannot see God's providence anymore. Number three is the God is theme that is going through the book of Ecclesiastes. That's the final theme I want you to look at there. The God is now God G-O-D is used by Solomon over 40 times during the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, I, I want to take you just a little back to the book of Proverbs. Go and look at Proverbs and see how Solomon addresses God there as Lord. Here, he doesn't use the covenant name of God of Lord and just the arm's length God. So he does not, there's no challenge on the existence of God. God is there. Solomon acknowledges God is there. But there is the hint, the aroma of, does God matter though? We are going through all of these things. God is there. And if I'm going to go through the things that I'm going to go through in life, does my relationship with God really matter? I'm still going through these things. Does it mean if God is in my life, I'm not going to go through these things? So if I'm going to go through them with, with whether God is there or not, does God matter? And in Solomon's book of Ecclesiastes, we see him complaining for We've got a complaint for every, for, 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 for every month of the year. Whole 12 chapters we can meditate on. In and out. In and out. Every month. Can you imagine? And he's got God at arm's length there. So, the question is, how is our movie, our 3D movie, have we got, have we got God at arm's length? Many of us, and I've heard this so often, which, which talks to Lord of our lives or God in our lives. We've all heard the saying, no, 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 I believe in God, the man upstairs. 
yeah, God is there, the man upstairs. There is no personal relationship there. What is our value? What is our value? Ecclesiastes 1.15. Now, remember, like I said, when Solomon wrote Proverbs, he was talking about Lord, talking about relationship, talking about covenant. When he's writing Ecclesiastes, he's talking about God and a separation. So we see how he's going through a phase in his life. Yeah. And I want you to see this. Ecclesiastes 1 verses 15. Solomon says this. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be numbered. How different is the perspective of covenant relationship in Proverbs 3 verses 5? It's also Solomon. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. But different from what is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be uh, numbered. Here he says, in all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. The two lenses that we are looking at life through matters. The lens of God at arm's length, or the lens of God personally, matters. God at arm's length, you start looking at the crooked things of life and say there is no hope. Here, with God in his life, walking in relationships, he says, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. He says he will make your paths straight. Same person. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I want to read this for you in closing, which says uh, from Proverbs 4, verses 23, from the Passion Translation. And we know the scripture, but I just love it the way the Passion Translation puts it. And it says, So above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being. For from there flows the wellspring of life. So taken from our theme points, human effort is futile if our focus is only on earthly things and not kingdom focused. If God is not our personal experience, our lens, our way of looking at life is going to be one that is blurred, is going to be one that is not the true picture. So, this morning, like I said, we are laying down a foundation for Ecclesiastes, and I urge you to go, in these couple of weeks going ahead, that you just go and search yourself. Search the book of Ecclesiastes and look at what lens you are looking at life through. And do this prayerfully. Do this prayerfully because, like I say, when you're going through this, the enemy 
will come and say, yes, it's true, but you haven't gotten to the truth. Looking on the surface is not the truth. So, this week we've got homework. Um, Pastor Bev and Zuei are landing uh, tomorrow evening. And we're going to continue with the book of Ecclesiastes going forward. But let's take this journey for each and every one of us. There has never been a time such as this where attack on humanity is as rife as it is. On our minds as it is. The lies that are coming forth as it is. Our filters, our filters for our own value in Christ needs to be at the highest level. Lest we succumb to the lies of the enemy. Lest we come to the lie of the solution is suicide, is death. It's not the solution. You've heard, don't come with a permanent solution to a temporary problem. I'm going to say to a temporary lie from the pit of hell. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your words. We thank you, Lord, that we are reminded that what's on this earth, what we can attain from man, riches, affirmation from man, glory from man, none of it matters, Father. Lord, we look to you this morning and we ask and pray, Father, that you would lead us in wisdom that is from above and not from below. That you would give us knowledge and understanding of the way that things work in the kingdom. Father, that our lives might be saved, that our names might be written in the Lamb's book of life. Father, give us deep insight into your word, into your kingdom. And give us deep insight into how it is that you see people. Lest we go into a vision of it is all vanity, it is all meaningless, it is all worthless. Lord, we pray for your covering of your Holy Spirit this morning over each and every family here. We cover each and every family unit, family bond in the mighty name of Jesus. We plead the precious blood of Jesus over every family. We plead the blood of Jesus over every covenant marriage this morning in this place. We pray, O Father, that no weapon formed against them shall prosper. We stand on your word and your promises this morning. We thank you, Lord, that in you We have hope in you, we have protection. In you we have life, Lord, and life abundantly. Father, this morning, we ask that even as we go and leave this place, we ask that you guide us through this week, even as we meditate on this book that is inspired by your Holy Spirit. We pray, O Father, that you begin to show us where it is that you need to take us. And this being all for your glory and for your purpose. We thank you, Lord, for this. 
We pray a, a blessing over each and everyone here at Rebirth, and we pray that you take us with you in peace, in the mighty name of Jesus, and Rebirth says, Amen. Amen.